Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. I didn't uh, realize. I guess it's out there. I just hadn't paid enough attention. Joe Berger's going to hang it up after this year. Yeah, he uh, was it Gessling that did a, a piece on him, or maybe he just talked to him in the locker room today. But I saw some quotes from uh, from Gessling's well, Twitter. Apparently, account. he almost he considered not playing this year, and now he's happy he came back. <laughs> well, he's got. I think him and his wife adopted a bunch of kids. He's got about seventy five kids or something like that oh, too. Really? I know. So yeah, he's a, he's a help humanity. Type ab- of guy, absolutely, yeah. Okay. But what a great well, story. I mean, he was was he an under drafted guy or a late round pick from Michigan Tech or wherever the heck he played. I think he was like a late round yeah, pick. But what a great story, man. That's uh, I, I I root so for guys like that. he's playing right guard again now. Right? Yes. Yes, now sir. Now we got Remmers playing left guard. Yep. Right? That's the plan. And it's already out there now that the Vikings are going to uh, take a offensive tackle in the in the uh, in the dra- in the draft. How about uh, the Mel's Mel's oh fantasy? Mel's Mel's are uh, is this number one? Is this uh, one? I think it's one point zero. Yeah, I think it's one point zero. One point zero. We got a. <laughs> we're picking thirty first. That's so the controversy, the, by the way. He has the Vikings losing to the Patriots in the. So we're not getting any respect if we play the Patriots in the World Series. There was. A Jacksonville fan that retweeted it and said, already got us losing. We don't get any respect. (laughs) Him and the rest of the world, buddy. (laughs) Although, what if Brady doesn't play with the broken hand? Well, yeah. Well, then then what a battle it would be. You know, are they – if – the Vikings beat the Eagles without Wentz and the Patriots without Brady. Do we get an asterisk? I think we might have to. And it's kind of like Roger Maris's home run record. Are we going to get an asterisk? And nearly two games against the Packers without Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. And you know? winning the Super Bowl at home. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I don't think it's going to count. I think we, I don't think we can really count I already it. see your tweets coming. I think I'm going to let up. They're so damn sensitive. I know. You can't. I mean, this is, this is as crazy as it's ever been. I mean, I sent out a perfectly reasonable tweet that everybody went nuts about, and they, you know, they they all want me to no longer live because breathe. you have we you, you've got our defense mechanisms up, Patrick. That's okay. what you do, and that's why I'm going to give you this prediction right now because oh. it's my last time on the air before the game, and this is not any kind of trolling. This is nothing, Vikings. 27 to 10. Oh, and boy. I firmly believe it. I firmly believe that they're going to kick their ass. They're going to get, they're going to move the ball against that uh, weak secondary, but with those two receivers catching eight yard passes, and uh, they're going to move the ball. 
and Philadelphia is going to have to come out of their shell and try to do some things. And Case Keenum, while he certainly was flawed in the second half against New Orleans, is not nearly as flawed as Nick Foles, in my opinion. I do think I, I do think they're I think they're going to whop them. I do think that one thing that will help your cause. Sorry, Manny, is mm-hmm. that it's going to be fifty degrees yeah. on game day. It's not going to be you know twenty eight with howling winds at game time. I think that does play to the Vikings' advantage. The only way they can lose is if they turn it over three times. Yes, if they get out to a seventeen nothing lead like they did on Sunday in New Orleans, it's over. The the, yes. the Eagles will be done. Yeah, because they do not have the quarterback. I mean, they've got, you know, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey's pretty good, and Nelson Aguilar's pretty good, but they do not have the quarterback. Yeah, Zach Ertz is good, but they don't have the quarterback that can fling them back into a game. Manny, for the only time in this postseason, you saw the Vikings pucker because they were at home, and they all of a sudden they felt the pressure. When, when When the Saints started that comeback, all of a sudden they puckered up playing at home all of a sudden it's going to end right here now they made the play at the end fantastic but the way they played in the second half they lost their composure pretty one of the few times you've seen it this year they started to melt down and uh and they won't i i the pressure's off now i mean it's it's not completely off because you certainly feel like you should beat the eagle right but they won't they won't. They won't play as poorly again in this postseason as they played. Well, the you're not going up against Drew Brees. Either. Second half on Sunday. No, right. yeah. no, that's what I'm saying. But you know what? And the other thing too is Manny said if they get out to a big lead like that, the one thing that could happen too is if you know you get a ten point lead at, at any point. That's what I think is key. But getting them in three and outs, that defense for the Eagles then will get wore out because they'll be on the field. A lot with that offense not being able to move the ball against and the Vikings. They Vikings don't let you, you know, the Vikings opponents let you throw those little dump passes against, you know, over the middle to Thielen and, and Diggs. Uh, not little ones, but, you know, the seven, eight yarders. But the Vikings don't give those up with the linebackers right. they have. They don't give those up. They don't give you, they don't give fulls that soft little area where he can, knows he can throw the ball and get uh, get a first down. And, uh, They're going to put nine in the box and make Nick Foles beat him because they yeah. know that the running game is their, I, is their I, key. I think the biggest key in the game is going to be the Vikings' offensive line. Can they can they give? Because that, that Philadelphia front seven is pretty good. That defensive line, they've yeah. got some depth there and they've got some pass Chris Long and, and they got their number one draft choice. They Brandon got Graham's them. really good yeah. off the edge and Fletcher Cox is a he's just a monster. So if they can protect Case Keenum and give him some time and keep him out of those third and 15 pressure, you know, where Jim Schwartz can maybe dial up a blitz or two, if they can keep Case Keenum out of that, then I think the Vikings will be fine. Yeah, that that, that I agree with you is the only thing. Uh, by the way, I saw, where did I see the stat today from, uh, I didn't realize how often Keenum had been pressured this year. We're, we're talking about the offensive line just because it's so much better than last year. Yeah. But did I read it in one of Collar's pieces or something? They've still been pressured like the sixth most in the league or something like that. It's but just Keenum's ability. Yeah, yeah, Keenum has the mobility to sort of move around in the pocket and he'll tuck and run if he needs to. And Bradford never did that. No. Well, and so maybe maybe they got a break when Bradford got hurt. People don't believe that. I, I do get a kick out of people 
talking about, well, you know, sure, they're playing without the Packers are playing without Rodgers. And, the uh, you know, sure, Philadelphia is playing about playing without Wentz, but we're playing without our starting quarterback, too. Yeah, but you might be playing your best quarterback for what you, the way you're trying to play, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keenum. So anyway, I think the, I think the Vikings win twenty-seven to ten. And don't call me up about jinxing you. What do you want me to say that I don't think they're going to win? Yes. Yeah, because then because then you're being <laughs> then you're being super negative. Then you're just yeah. being ah, yeah. Ricey, typical Ricey, being negative. How about no, this? Oh. They win. They're the better team by a, a significant margin. How about this quote from uh, Brian Hoyer? We were talking about Tom Brady with the injured hand and, and maybe the chance that he might not play. Brian Hoyer from ProFootballTalk.com. Quote, if I don't play, then that's really good for our team. <laughs> <laughs> what are they up to? It's not like they're going to convince Jacksonville to prepare for somebody else at quarterback. You what know this is to? just Belichick having fun with everybody else because that's just what he loves to do. Hey, by the way, great piece on SA.com. A huge, long piece. Uh, some uh, gal who I'm not sure who she is, but she's pretty good. Uh, uh, on SA.com today, uh, SA.com uh, on uh, this relationship between Belichick and uh, Saban and how far back. Oh, I, I only it. saw the tweet. I didn't read the article. Oh, it's, 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 well, it's got to be 150 inches long. How'd she, did I, she get quotes from them? How'd she get them to talk? Yeah, they were both uh, wow. fairly cooperative. Yeah. I mean, they weren't, you know, they they were fine. I, I, I got a hunch that it's something that maybe had been worked on for, for a, a while. couple of months. Sure. And they, but then they, and it fell right for them. But uh, they're, uh, you know, they're big, they're big buddies. And, <laughs> That's why they both treat the press so kindly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back uh, with Kevin Seifert. Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert. Here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's NFL Nation reporter Kevin Seifert, presented by Mystic Lake. Kevin uh, Seifert is with us. Kevin, I was uh, reading that long piece on uh, Saban and Belichick, uh, and uh, it is uh, interesting how these two guys go back to the Naval Academy connection and became buddies. It's not hard uh, to fathom those two guys as uh, good pals for the the, uh, secretive kind of obstinate ways that they have. I mean, it's hard to argue against that uh, secret, yes. obstinate ways, given their <laughs> relative success. I think that's the worst takeaway from that from that great story that Jenny Brentis did over on uh, MMQB uh, was that uh, here and that the whole relationship started when they were each working for different yes. teams, and they had to secretly. <laughs> I mean, the NFL secrets go way back. They had to secretly drive to a third party, lo- undisclosed third party location. <laughs> With like 16 millimeter video uh, scavenged in their in the back seat to go meet and talk ball um, at a time when they were technically competitors, and uh, really fascinating to see how the two best coaches of this generation and maybe beyond um, have sort of run parallel lives and interacted with each other in so many different spots. I mean, it is amazing. Belichick has to win one more to equal Saban's national championships. I mean, Belichick's won five, Saban's won six in college football, which is uh, incomprehensible, that's for sure. Although I think 
If I had to deal with one of those two guys, I think I'd rather deal with Belichick than Saban. I think Saban is much more condescending. Belichick is just, yeah, you know, you know, he just wants it to get over with. But yeah, uh, yeah from a media perspective, uh, uh, Saban's more volatile and accusatory, and you get these uh, uh, lectures that you really don't get from Belichick. You just get indifference. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I also, uh, you know, it didn't uh, strike me. I guess it should have. I was reading a, a Shermer thing today. He was Chip Kelly's offensive coordinator and obviously was looking for a job after Kelly Kelly left and Peterson yeah. came. But I wonder, I wonder what it's, I wonder what a Chip Kelly offensive coordinator does a because that's his whole deal. But I want that might be one of the reasons the Vikings are playing with this uh, pace that they hadn't played with previously. Maybe maybe Shermer learned something from Kelly about playing oh, at a faster pace. Oh, he, there's no doubt, and I think he's even acknowledged um, that he incorporated. You know, he starts. He comes from the Andy Reid tree, sure, um, in the the West Coast uh, type offense, but he has made been very open and people who watch the the the, the coaches film are, are very much convinced that he's incorporated parts of the Chip Kelly offense into what he does and that was a huge i think um uh, driving point for his popularity throughout this whole interview process was that he had sort of done the magic sauce which is uh not be wedded to one particular scheme or one particular way of going about things but being open-minded to the point where if you encounter something that could work, you incorporate it and don't worry about copyrights. And you you take the best of all of it and put it together into the game plan for the, the, 20, the 11 guys you're going to have on the, on the field for that particular game. So, you know, he might use more Chip Kelly offense with Case Keenum as the quarterback than he might have with Sam Bradford, for instance. And I don't know if yes. that's true, but that's, you know, that's the type of, of – sort of fungible coaching and scheming that NFL teams are desperate for uh, and really uh, is the key to the survival of any unestablished head coach. You don't have time to come in and overhaul the roster to get the exact type of players that you need to fit into the scheme that you want to run. You have to meld that scheme with the people you get you have already and the people you get in that first year or you're not going to make it. Uh, I, this is completely off uh, the, the track here, but you bring that up and how coaches and quarterbacks are both on the short, you know, two, three years, baby, you, yeah. you're not, you're gone. What is the latest Mike Brown letting Marvin Lewis come back? Is that, I've always said that he's a guy that just from a distance, if you tell him what he has to do, he's not going to do it. But this time, even Marvin thought he was going to do it. What? What? It can be the possible explanation for Marvin coming back again? Um, well, you have to start with whether they're being run competently. To be honest with you, I mean that's the that's the first part. You know, is, is does Mike Brown have a good reason for that? And, not, and that's not to impugn the coaching uh, abilities of Marvin Lewis, which we've seen, and the sort of CEO abilities he has, which have come through in the fact that they're now much more professionally run on a relative scale than they were when he got there. But um, I don't know that you could come up with a, with a good reason other than fearing change and wondering if the next person to come along is going to want to do things differently than the way you're used to and not wanting to change those things and feeling that you have the right structure in there and that if, you know, certain injury things go the right way, you could, you could turn it around. But, 
beyond all of that, I, if I were a Bengals fan, I would be concerned about whether uh, you know good, good, honest, unsentimental decisions were being made in the operation of the franchise. Yeah, it's uh, well, they they don't spend any money. They have the worst facility that there is, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they're they're going they're going the way of the Oakland Raiders here, while Oakland's heading off to Vegas. I, I think. Yeah. so I don't see. You know, this is. I don't see how the Eagles win this game unless the Vikings turn it over a bunch. Yeah, I mean, just I was just talking to somebody else, and um, on paper, the the Vikings defense is much better than the Eagles offense. Um, the thing that the Eagles got going a little bit against the Falcons was this short, you know, passing game and then run or JHI um, breaking tackles and getting down the field. And the one thing that the Vikings defense, even the other day, was still really good at and probably the best in the league is tackling. I mean, you don't get extra yeah. yards against them. Yeah. And so if the, if the Eagles' plan is to come in or their hope is to come in and, and get rid of the ball quick and have their receivers run away from the Vikings defense that is not a good matchup for them so they're gonna have to figure out something entirely different to um to get to the point that they you know whether it's how many points they need to score to beat them is it 20 is it 25 they need to score 30 um you know the, the Eagles defense is pretty good and they're opportunistic and they could score some on their own but um if the Vikings play a relatively competent offensive game and and they get to the to you know maybe 20 points or that might be it that might be all they yeah. need um I was going to say, if the Eagles have to score more than 20, I don't see it happening. Yeah, yeah, and so that's a, that's a nice you know, round number to cut off at and say, like, that's, you know, that it, it's not even at best. It wasn't, you know, that explosive of an offense last week against the Falcons. They figured out how to get things done. But um, that might not be enough this week, um, given how, uh, you know, the Vikings offense has, has played this year. That was a, uh, we were just talking about it a minute ago, though. That was the a rattled football team, the Vikings, in the second half. And I think that's past them now. I, I don't think you'll see them play again like they played in the second half Sunday. Yeah, they definitely had a combination of mistakes happening one after another in a way that almost always leads to, to a loss. I mean, you know, let's let's call it what it is. They should have lost the game. You know, the, yes. the, the, it was a great play that they made with it, at the lowest percentage possible um, to, to win it. And so, when you throw an interception and get a punt blocked and and you know get beat on fourth and ten and and all those sorts of things, those are the those are the things that get you beat in playoff games. And if they do that kind of thing in a close game in Philadelphia, they could potentially lose again. So maybe. They look, they look at it and say that, you know, in the grand scheme that they weathered a storm that the, the Saints put on and, and um, that they have the confidence that they can do it. But I don't wouldn't test it, you know, that they do something like that in that series in that short period of time in the second half against Philadelphia, they could very well lose that game. Kevin, it's uh, amazing, and I've talked to you about it, the way people uh, – are completely paranoid about protecting the football now, uh, not throwing interceptions, not uh, certainly not losing fumbles as compared to a couple of generations ago. I was looking up the 1980 Vikings playoff game in Philadelphia. That uh-huh. was, uh, and Tommy Kramer threw five picks that day, and the Vikings were still in the game with them oh my into, God. The, into well, the you know late third quarter, into the fourth. They threw five interceptions. Yeah, and, that, and the, the closest uh, modern comparison wasn't it the Brian Hoyer game for Houston a few yeah. uh, years ago? They got beat thirty nothing. They got shut out, I think, um, at home. Yes. And uh, that that I mean, the, the chances 
I would love to see, but since 1980, how many times a team has even been within one or two scores when their quarterback throws three interceptions? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, that that number has gone down dramatically. We talk about you know Case Keenum and all the you know gosh you know what yeah, he throws so many balls he throws balls up for grabs and you know he's so careless and he has seven interceptions this year. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, one, one and a, one, I think the percentage is one and a half. Uh, his, his interception rate is one and a half percent, which is seventh best in the league. So well, they got they got uh, Bruce Breeze completed seventy two percent of his passes. Seventy two percent. Yeah. yeah. If you completed was, fifty. Yeah. 30 years ago, they were, yeah, he's pretty good. He's completes yeah. half his passes. It's, so. uh, it, it is an ama- it's been an amazing uh, change, paradigm change, and and not and especially to hear coaches like Zimmer who were around and at the time when it was okay, not okay, but much more common to throw multiple interceptions. And you know, he's all railing about this one bad throw that Keenum made the other night, um, and he is fully uh, experienced and immersed in it in the time when football was rampantly uh, more likely to be turned over. That could be. Now, uh, there are two reasons for it, I would say, is one, you know, for this idea that there's just, we just have this dearth of quarterbacking. I'd say one reason is they play everybody. They, they want them to be good eight games into their first season, you know. If, if mm-hmm. you know, they want uh, – Manual or whatever his name is that they drafted to be oh, able to play. Manual, yeah. yeah, to play ten games into his first season. But right. B, it is the standards we have for quarterbacking now yeah. Yeah. are so much higher than they were, as I say, a generation yeah. and, and a half and ago. Con- and conclusions are drawn very early. And, and yes. Keenum again being a very good example. You know, he obviously not even drafted, so people had already decided he would never be an NFL starter. But he he got a lot of playing time for a guy who who was undrafted because of injuries and other reasons, um, and as we can we know from the way the off season went, he was uh, not considered anything close to being a potential starter. And they, the the league had made up its mind on Case Keenum, and you know I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think the Vikings should keep him for next year at a starter's you know a market value starter salary. Um, somebody I would think is going to consider him a starter. And it took until his, his sixth NFL season. He's almost 30 years old, but um, that that's a rare, it's rare that a guy who has that much playing time and, and has had, uh, you know, in this, in this era, gets that much playing time and had that little success uh, gets another full chance to, to become a starter. And lo and behold, it worked out. I was looking up a uh, piece today on the Vikings' number one draft choices since they last went to the uh, uh, playoffs, and because you know they've had a few busts and some good picks too. But I ran into the Javid Best uh, thing the first yeah. year afterwards. They made the trade for Javid Best, and I was uh, seeing something about when they finally released Javid Best, and they were quoting you in there. Somebody writing for uh, another source was quoting you having written on uh, NFL Nation blog that a guy like this will never get taken in the first round again with his concussion yeah. uh, history because the league is so much more uh, paranoid about it uh, for good reason right now. But uh, that was, uh, you know, I, I just ran across that, and uh, and that, that's a good point as to how. Well, it's, it's true. I mean, you, you think back to Java Best. He, he played uh, Cal, I think it was, and he had a play where he went up in the air to try to catch the ball. Somebody came underneath him, and he landed straight on his head and was knocked out on the I think field. it was here, wasn't it, in, uh, um, in college. It, it 
it in college it happened that he got he got concussed at TCF Bank yeah. Stadium. I know he had he sure. had several of them, and there was one yeah. in particular. I don't know where it was, but he was somebody came came up underneath him, and he just landed straight on his head and was knocked out, and immediately ruled out for the rest of the season. And and that that would be yeah for good reason. Uh, you know, not just for political correctness or over safety. I mean, that's a that is a career ending thing. Um, potentially to have a concussion so bad that you're knocked out and that's your second or third concussion of the, of the year, as I recall. And they had let him, let him come back pretty quickly and he's immediately ruled out indefinitely. And then, you know, he had a couple concussions in the NFL and again, the same thing happened. So that, you know, from a, from a value standpoint, you're, I mean, that you, you plummet and, it, and, and from a safety standpoint, it's the right thing to do. But, um, you know, it's amazing. What was that? Two thousand? You said it was two thousand ten. Two thousand. Yeah. And so, like, amazing the extent to which the concussion issue and story have changed, even since that point. Which I know is eight years ago, but yeah. very, very recently. Uh, just one quick thing: they flipped the fourth rounders in that uh, they they went down four spots and took Chris Cook, and huh. then which didn't turn out, but the guy they got in the fourth round was Everson Griffin. Yeah. So that yeah, that was, okay. yeah. And, and, and that's, that's another whole day to story to itself is how they <laughs> end up drafting him and what he was like his first few years and how yeah. in the, no one would have imagined him to be a pro bowl pass rusher here, uh, six year, eight years later. All right. Hey, thanks Kevin. Okay. Talk to you next week, sir. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Kevin Seifert, the NFL nation blog for ESPN. Here's Johnny Hype with a sports update. This uh, sports update sponsored by La Quinta. How do you win on the road? Stay at La Quinta Inns and Suites. Enjoy stylish lobbies and exciting room renovations. Book now at LQ.com. Timberwolves in Houston this evening to play the Rockets. And uh, as Mr. Reavers just pointed out, that's a bit of a late starter. They get underway at 8.30 tonight. Rockets will be without Trevor uh, Ariza and Gerald Green. They're both suspended. They will have James Harden back, though, uh, from injury. Probably play about 25 minutes, according to his coach. Reports have Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, of course, going to coach the Giants when the season is over. Today, Shermer talked to reporters about that, uh, but he said he didn't want to talk about it. He said, quote, it's not the time nor the place to be talking about that. Uh, one of the things that Mr. Phil Mackey has been doing is uh, trolling the Philadelphia Eagle diehard dude bros on Twitter, which is kind of funny, actually. I just got an email to the Beer Show page from a guy named Paul. It says, we're coming for you. Hashtag Philly. All right. Does he have any idea of that? Apparently not. <laughs> wow. I'm going re- to respond to him. I want to see what I'm going to get out of this. You're kind of a Minnesota dude, bro. I don't know if I'd... Uh, <laughs> you want to hang out, watch the game? Kind of a college knucklehead, backwards hat wearing. Probably <laughs> tip back some Coors Lights, eat some buffalo cheese dip. Huh? Where's Ricey? I need to talk to him. He's... Uh, you back yet? Yeah, he's there. There you go, Pat. What's up? Roycey, you had a brilliant idea, and now I'm working on one-liners <laughs> to greet these morons as they get off the plane, yes. starting with, hey, who the hell are you supposed to be? <laughs> I think I'm going to go research every line that Don Rickles wrote, mm. and I'm just going to use it on these idiots. <laughs> oh, Roycey on Twitter suggested that he and I be the official greeters oh, for the Super Bowl <laughs> out at the airport. Somebody <laughs> asked whether I was returning if I was returning to right. be part of a volunteer, and I decided, yeah, Kenny and I should be the main <laughs> greeters. Hey, nice at wig, the Elvis. Terminal. <laughs> 
Who told you that was a good look? I started off with the gal coming up and saying, where's the train? I said, you know, look up, you fat ass, and see where the... (laughs) Read the signs. (laughs) signs. Is that your daughter's shirt? That looks... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that looks great on you. (laughs) It does, mama. Fake. be wonderful. Speaking of wigs, did you see the video of the high school basketball referee... That had the pass that oh, hit him in the back of the head, about, and his toupee went flying. Oh, that's so we awesome! We talked about Johnny talked about that. So funny. Poor guy. How about the yeah. uh, Rodney Dangerfield line? Did you get a bowl of soup with that haircut? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I would just love to try that out on somebody. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, be fun. I, I'm all for it. Did I miss anything? Yeah, I, I did a couple occupied. stories. Nothing. Okay, you know, good. stuff you've already heard probably. All right, Johnny. All right. Well, uh, I think I'm sure you did a fine job. Oh, okay. I'm done then. Sure. Okay, okay yeah. sure. What a week. Sure. What a week. that the truth right there? Man. Oh, my God. The Ride with Roycey. Now, traffic. Time for traffic and weather. Hey, you uh, actually do the weather for us? Traffic and weather today. Hey, uh, a sycophant. What's the line on GL? It's uh, close enough? Or close enough. Yeah. yeah. I, I like Roycey's line. What do we care? <laughs> State Fair T-shirt 2018. The Diamond Awards being held tonight at Target Field. Uh, I got to think uh, two reasons Twins Fest uh, might uh, be hurting a little bit this weekend. A, uh, the uh, the just the absolute crazed attention to the Vikings. It's uh, going to be it's going to be kind of difficult to get people yeah. thinking about other things. And B, we're not there this year, so. Uh, the uh, you know the fifteen hundred ESPN will not uh, be having our usual uh, dynamic presence at uh, Twins. Fest and you know it, it always brings me back to easily one of my top three favorite moments ever in working in this radio station in this building for the Hubbard for the last ten years was all of us so wide-eyed sitting at the Metrodome and Joe Sushri looking around going look at this dump. <laughs> As we started the yes, welcome we, to the Twins yes, Come on, folks, and meet the fellas. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I guess that. that's what. Uh, so, Joe, you know I, you I said that what, on the though, air, right? We were out there so long oh. that, uh, so it had to be maybe 07, was it? When we had Joe Maurer was going to appear with us. Oh, yeah. And, and I remember that. There had to be. 2,000 people sitting in those stands there waiting for yep. Joe. So uh, what was, uh, well, that could have been, you know, he's the MVP in nine. So it might have been 2010, something like that, the Twins Fest there. They were packing them in then, man. But uh, Yeah, because you're right, because that would have been right before they moved it over to Target Field. Yeah. Uh, they moved it. Actually, it stayed at the Metrodome until they started tearing the Metrodome down. So, uh, when what years did they play? They played fourteen and fifteen in TCF Bank, right? Right. So it would have been. Uh, but I so well, I remember that because you know, I was there more as a spectator because I I wasn't really working with 13 you guys. Thirteen had to be the last year. So they this is probably their fifth year. At but that was when Joe Maurer was the king of the hill in this oh, town. Man, man, and for damn good reason. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, tonight, the uh, Diamond Awards, uh, Rick Stelmazic, who uh, passed away uh, recently after his battle with pancreatic cancer, was uh, was to receive the uh, Good Guy Award from the uh, Twin Cities chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I think it's the good guy. Not, there's two of them. There's a distinguished service in, in that one. But we wanted to uh, give Stelly the good guy award when he first left the organization. Mm-hmm. And Stelly was a little he was a little put off, and he just didn't want to do it. And then uh, it did 
you know, that first year, and then people spent a couple of years trying to talk him into it. And finally, uh, when they then they then a couple other people received it, and then we they, we went back to Stelly, and uh, lo and behold, uh, he had uh, come up with pancreatic cancer before while this was still going on, and everybody was very hopeful that uh, he would uh, make it to this uh, to this event, but he of course passed away. He did get back uh this uh, summer for the uh, tom kelly yep. statue unveiling and that thing and that was great but uh Stelly's wife kathy will accept it for him tonight and by all accounts kathy they when Stelly had his funeral in chicago south side of chicago there was only one eulogist and it was kathy and they said she was fantastic. Really? I got that report from my friend Wong, who was as tight with uh, Stelly as you could get. Okay. And also Big Herbie down here. I saw I saw Herbie was down here for the uh, Ken Urbeck for the uh, fantasy camp, and I said uh, I heard. By the way, Herbie looks good. That's I what I heard down, you say. I, I heard bet you say he's down that the other day. fifty. What? And I, uh, wow, he's good for down him. Quite a bit. And. Uh, and uh, I said I hear Kathy was pretty good, and he. He gave me about five minutes on how excellent it was uh, the the eulogy that she gave for this uh, great uh, great character from the South Side of Chicago. <laughs> they got, uh, I guess, the visitation or uh, the wake or whatever it is. Her and, uh, and their son, uh, their one child. Two and a half hours of shaking hands and taking wow from in every South Side. Polish person that you could find. I almost said something. Outside. I know you Polish, did. I'm glad you self-edited Polish on the fly. Person. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just, you know, his life was, you talk about Rook being a guy who lived in one little area there and Joe. <laughs> Stelly was, you know, the mom was, my, his wife's parents were kitty corner. His parents were a block down. His brothers, his, I mean, they all lived. That, that's the way it is in that uh, that steel mill part of uh, Southside. They of don't go anywhere, essentially. No, they, uh, they hang so out there. So when you so. think of most beloved people in that franchise's history, is Steli number one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And especially everybody who ever met him at Hubert's. <laughs> you know, he used to walk into Hubert's, and there'd be a couple guys sitting there, and he'd say, sprinkle the infield, <laughs> which meant <laughs> that used to be his thing. So everybody got a drink, sprinkle the infield. Oh, that's his, fantastic. Uh, saying. And, uh, yeah, he was uh, yeah, he was a hell of a guy. Uh, and Doja, I think Doja's getting most of the awards tonight, right? He's getting a few. And uh, Joe's getting uh, one, right? Didn't Joe win? Joe won the Upper Midwest. That's yeah. it. He yeah. hadn't won it for a few years, but he came. We got we got back to Joe winning it. Joe dominated the uh, the always uh, <laughs> difficult uh, Upper Midwest award because it's. They started this in 1962 when they first gave these awards, the the guys back then. So we went with Upper Midwest, okay. The Dakotas, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. (laughs) We threw Wisconsin in. And then I think we might have thrown Nebraska in after a while. We let them in, maybe when they got in the Big Ten or something. I don't know. But uh, some years it's been very difficult. And uh, I think uh, I, I give Jace Frederick uh, credit with uh, finding the relief pitcher from Iowa, Tony Watson. Oh, that, I did, that's yeah, right, yes. Yeah, he's from Iowa, so he came up with him, and he got him in. I found 
our 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 crowd didn't know that Jordan Zimmerman was a Wisconsin guy. Now he was over on the other border, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got uh, so I, I found Jordan Zimmerman one year because we were desperate when Joe went, you know, kind of uh, when Joe when he was, was having those longer. injury problems. Yeah, yeah, when he was having those injury problems, and then you know Nishek's won it twice, I think, and. Uh, and uh, Brad Hand, I think Brad Hand won it last year, right? I think Brad. Oh, Hand you're right. Won it yes, last year. I think you're right. Or is he won it? The, no, yeah, and then yeah, he won it last year. Now Joe won it again this year. So, uh, so that's that's always the tough one to come up with. And then sometimes with the Twins, it's uh, Rookie of the Year. Sure, you know, some guy had 42 at bats. You know? Speaking of Nishek, uh, he he's a great follow on Twitter oh, just because he he's a baseball nerd like the rest of yeah. us, but. He threw out something. Johnny Height and I were talking about this maybe like a week, a week or so ago, and uh, he said there are five players left from the two thousand and the two thousand MLB draft that are still active. Yes, I saw that, and he's and one he's of them. One of them, along yeah. with Albert Pujols and a couple. I thought, oh my god, that's amazing. To I thought think for about. sure he'd sign with a more established club, but he's going back to the Phillies. Yeah, and, uh, for, with a nice deal. Well, they're being kind of projected as a team that could sneak up a little bit mm, okay. th- this year. Because they've got some talent. so I think we have a red-hot Super Bowl story coming up, right? We do. Any final thought? Okay. you got about 30 seconds. Any final well, thoughts? Final before? thoughts from uh, Florida? Yeah. Don't come down here. It's too damn cold. Stay <laughs> home. <laughs> Maybe later. By the way, check out the spring training schedule because it's earlier this year. Yeah. You come down at the end of February, you'll be able to get in any game you want to because the crowds aren't as big in, at the end of February. Don't wait till March. That's my advice. All right, gentlemen. See you Monday. 1500 ESPN presents 52 Super Stories leading up to the big game. Brought to you by Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Here's Patrick Royce. Number one on my list of the grade eight Super Bowls you've been waiting, I know, was number 13, as well as the fifth and last Super Bowl played Miami's historic Orange Bowl. Pittsburgh 35, Dallas 31 on January 21, 1979. I've always been of the opinion that the Steelers of the 70s were the greatest assemblage of NFL talent of my lifetime. And apparently the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters agree since 11 of those Steelers are in Canton. The Cowboys Cowboys were almost their equal in talent, even though they only have five of the players from the 1978 roster in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Tony Dorsett, Jackie Smith, Roger Staubach, Randy White, and Rayfield Wright. Cowboys also had Drew Pearson and Tony Hill as receivers, Ed Tall Jones at defensive end, Cliff Harris and Charlie Waters at the safeties, and all kinds of other guys. They had tremendous talent. This was the first season of the 16-game schedule in the NFL and also the first with a wild-card round in the playoffs. Dallas was 12-4 and and beat Atlanta and the L.A. Rams in the playoffs. Pittsburgh was 14-2 and at manhandled Denver and Houston Oilers. Dallas's Hollywood Henderson, the wonderfully talented, goofy linebacker, was the star attraction during the long week of pregame interviews. It was for this game that Hollywood questioned the intelligence of Pittsburgh quarterback Terry Bradshaw by saying he couldn't spell cat if you spot him the C and the A. Dallas had a 14-7 lead early in the second quarter after linebacker Mike Hegman went 37 yards for a touchdown with a Bradshaw fumble. Fumble! Bradshaw, oh, he had going in with it. Number 58, Mike Hegman. The Steelers came right back when Bradshaw threw 10 yards over the middle to John Stallworth, and Stallworth cut through a couple of tackles and completed a 75-yard touchdown. Then in the third quarter, came the infamous Jackie Smith drop that would have tied the game at 21. Roger, back to throw, has a man open in the end zone, caught, touchdown, Steelers! 
man in America. After that, there was a questionable interference that led to a 22-yard touchdown run by Franco Harris. A short kick that Randy White tried to field while wearing a cast on his hand. That led to another touchdown. 35-17 with 6.51 left. Cowboys came back with two touchdowns to make it 35-31. They had a lot of bad breaks that day. Cowboys collection that was taking on what I consider to be the best team ever. Also a bad break for the sports books in Vegas. The game opened with Pittsburgh as a three and a half point favorite. A bunch of Steelers money rolled in, moving the line to four and a half. Then the Cowboys money came rolling in and the game settled at four. The early Pittsburgh betters were paid. The later Cowboys betters were paid and everyone else got a push, meaning the sports books were middled for tens of millions and they have since referred to January 21, 1979 in Las Vegas as Black Sunday. 52 Super Stories continues next week. Brought to you by Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. And for more details on Super Bowl 52 coming to the Twin Cities in 2018, sign up for the host committee email at mnsuperbowl.com. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.